Well, welcome. I'm Lars Hammer. I'm the pastor at Lord of Grace Lutheran Church here in Marana, Arizona. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. This is my sermon for All Saints Sunday uh, for November 1st. So I hope you uh, have a good All Saints Sunday or have had a good All Saints Sunday. Uh, this is my message. So let's get started. Uh, I'm going to start out by telling you a little bit about my own background. Uh, hopefully not enough to bore you, but as you know, I grew up in rural Minnesota. And the part of rural Minnesota I grew up in was actually a fairly rough neighborhood. And it wasn't a, like I say, it wasn't a city, it was out in the country. And, uh, but it was out in the country, it was, just, it was just on the outer, outer, outer edge of the Twin Cities commuting area. So people would work in maybe the northern suburbs and then commute out from there. And, and so a lot of the people who worked out there, they had good jobs, but there was a lot of kind of the area of uh, moving out here to get away from stuff. And there was all sorts of problems. The neighborhood was rough, full of all sorts of problems. There was drug dealing, there were family problems. A lot of the stuff you would never see. If you drove, if you drove through, you wouldn't see that. All you would see is split levels buried back behind the oak trees. It would almost look kind of idyllic. But if you got on the school bus, then you would see the real face of what it looked like. And you would get to meet the people who were my friends. Uh, for example, one of my friends, um, he, uh, he was the oldest of, what do they have, six or seven kids? Had this big family, he was the oldest. His dad was a union railroader. I always used to love going over to his house. We'd ride BMX bikes, and, uh, and I always thought his place was so cool because his dad had scored a box car, an actual metal box car from the railroad, and plopped it in the yard, and you could go in there. And uh, I, I always thought that was so cool. Uh, but the house was a wreck. The house, the house was never finished. It, it, half, of the, half of it, they never got siding over the tar paper. Uh, the walls on the inside didn't have all their drywall. There were old appliances and stuff sitting around. It didn't look great. The dad, the dad made a good living as a union railroader, but he drank most of it away. And so my friend would come home, and uh, he'd end up having to have all these brothers and sisters and trying to keep track of everybody and stay on top of all that while his dad's kind of on the couch not helping out with anything. And his mom uh, over there is having to work 10 times harder because he's not helping out. And she doesn't have the money she should have because he's drinking a lot of it away. And, and so she could get really angry. And so there were all these problems. This was just one. I had lots of friends like this, they, you know, and they, they all had all these different stories to tell. There was drugs all over that school bus, you know, this one's dealing that and this one's dealing that. It was not Lake Wobegon, not that part, not my bus route, it was not Lake Wobegon. And, um, and, and this was how it was. Well, it was interesting because a lot of these kids that I grew up with, they always looked at me and kept saying I was rich. I remember having this debate. Lars, you're rich. And, and I'm thinking, my dad's a country church pastor. I'm not, that isn't a, the highest paying job. How much does a union railroader make compared? I, would, I thought you might have made more in terms of actual dollars. And, um, but no, 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 they said you're rich. I'm like, why do you think I'm rich? Oh, you got that fancy house. And I'd look at some of them and go, it's the same floor plan you got. It's the same house you got. Oh, yours is fancier. Oh, 
you know. Well, yeah, a lot of the houses around us, they didn't have the siding finished. I never understood that one house. They, they took them like 20 years to finish siding the garage. But because my family took care of the house and put siding on the walls and drywall on the inside, because we had a few of these kind of niceties, you know, some Swedish glass that we'd picked up when we were there and, you know, and my mom cleans everything so our carpet was always really clean and our house was orderly. And compared to my friend with his, you know, all those brothers and sisters and the dad on the couch and the, the, the wall not even finished, I can get it now. It looked rich. And so it made me a little bit kind of an outsider. I didn't really, in a, in a sense, fit in. You know, I had good friends, but they always looked at me like I was just a little bit different. And, uh, and so after I moved later in high school up to northern Minnesota, I looked back on those days uh, growing up there and going on that bus route round and round. And I, I tended, I would think about how blessed I was. That was the word I would use. That I felt like I'd been really blessed to be born into the family I was born into. You know, to not, to ha to not have to deal with an alcoholic or a, a violent parent or to not have, you know, drug dealers in my house, uh, which was so common on my road. And I would say to myself, I've been pretty blessed. God's blessed me. But being the outsider that people look on a little bit askew because they aren't sure you're really one of them, that taught me a little bit about being blessed. Because being blessed is not always a blessing. Because it singles you out. It makes you different. And some people rub it off, blow it off. Other people, they can get resentful. They can get jealous. They can get hostile. They can want to knock you down. Oh, you think you're better than us. Being blessed can make you different and it can get you into trouble. I see a lot of these t-shirts these days. I don't know if you've seen them. Uh, they'll, they'll have the word blessed written on them. I've seen them on baseball hats. I mean, my wife even makes them. So before you think I'm dissing them. I, I have one relative who sells these uh, nicely stitched. There's one that says, uh, dressed, blessed, and coffee obsessed. And uh, I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds like me. Uh, so, but I'm gonna do a little bit of the thing that I, I usually do and ask the question, what do you mean by blessed? When you say you're blessed, blessed, what do you mean by that? Uh, does it mean that you feel like you've been lucky in life? That God's given you a lot? And you give God credit for that? You know, the way I kind of do with the family I was born into? We all know that we don't pick our families, you know, and being born into one family could guarantee you a life of wealth, and being born in another can start you out with massive hardships, and we don't get to pick this. So maybe being born in one is a blessing. Or do we mean by blessed uh, all those little ways that God works in our lives? You know, the little helps you get here and there. The, the little moments when the Spirit guides you. And you want to give God credit for that. And you understand that that's God at work and you want to share that with others. You know, those are all good ways. 
They're all true. I'm going to step back and talk a little bit about how the Bible looks at being blessed. Just a little bit. Don't have time for a whole survey, but what does the Bible say? Well, you got to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the first book. And there's a guy there named Isaac. And Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau is older, so Esau is supposed to inherit the farm. Jacob and Jacob is going to have to go out and find his own job. There's no splitting. You get the whole farm or you get nothing. And so Jacob hatches this plan that he's going to go and swindle the inheritance from his brother. So Jacob goes to his father Isaac. And Isaac, it says, is old and he's blind and he's bedridden. And Jacob goes and he makes this wig and this sort of arm piece out of sheep's hair because apparently Esau's hair was curly like that. And Jacob comes up to his father Isaac and asks his father Isaac for the blessing. Father, give me your blessing, Jacob says. Which is really Jacob saying, Father, promise me the inheritance in the farm. And so, old man Isaac uh, asks Esau, is that you? And so he feels the hair, and apparently the sheep hair fools him. And, and uh, so Isaac thinks, all right, this is definitely Esau, who is the older son. And he says, yes, you, can ha you have my blessing. Well, blessing here is inheritance. Blessing equals inheritance. And the father, in this case, Isaac, gets to give the inheritance to whoever he wants to. Normally, that would go to the oldest son, but here's the interesting thing. It had not been guaranteed to Esau yet. The father still had the option to give it to someone else. He had the option to pass over the oldest son if he wanted to. That was his choice to make. And apparently, it had not been officially decided, even at that late hour in Isaac's life. So Jacob, posing as his older brother, tricks his father into giving him the blessing. And he steals the blessing. He steals the inheritance from his brother Esau. Now, we know what happens next, right? Esau went and he hired a lawyer, and then he went to the court, and he made an argument that because Jacob got the inheritance through fraudulent pretenses, that therefore, your honor, you must void the, you must void the will and hand the inheritance back to Esau because the whole contract was based on fraudulent premises. Yeah, that's not how it worked. Esau finds out he was swindled out of the inheritance, and he grabs his swords and he goes after to kill Jacob. And Jacob, realizing he's going to get killed, don't know why he didn't think of this, takes off and runs away. And Esau ends up getting the farm by default. So a blessing in this situation is a little different than probably what we're thinking of on the t-shirt. You know, it's something the father grants to the one he chooses for whatever reason he wants. And you see that as soon as you get the blessing, that it's also a curse. 
Because the others around you get resentful, they get jealous, they can start plotting to get it back themselves. You're a target as soon as you get blessed. And, you know, rightly so. Couldn't the father just give a little bit of the blessing to Jacob too? Split it? You couldn't have at least split it 80-20? No. The point was to keep the whole farm together. If you kept splitting it each generation, everyone would have a farm so small you couldn't support your family on it. And so one got all of it, the others had to figure the rest out. It wasn't fun to be one of the ones who didn't get the blessing. But that's a blessing. The Father gives it to whoever he chooses for whatever reason he chooses. And it's not given to everyone, but it carries with it a lot of responsibility and the risk. All right, now let's move forward from Jacob and Esau. Jesus is standing on a mountain. He's got this big crowd all around him. There's a mix of people there from all over. You know, maybe some have money, but most of them, they're sick, they're poor, they're desperate. You know, they've got a disease and there's no cure. They're hungry and they can't get a job. They're alone and nobody wants to be near them because they have a sore and everybody thinks they're impure. They have a disability and there's no ADA or social security. So they're desperate. And they've probably gone through every avenue and every venue that they can and all the quacks have taken what little money they had. And, but their friends told them about this prophet Messiah guy they heard who came from up north, named Jesus. And I heard he was able to fix that guy's eyes and, you know, he helped that one guy on the stretcher walk. And so what do they do? They hear about him and they go to the mountain to, hear the, to see the person that maybe, maybe this will be the, the, my one shot. I've got nothing to lose, let's check him out. And they're probably intrigued by Jesus. I could imagine he was a very compelling, interesting personality. I mean, he was a master of the scriptures, and so he teaches the scriptures eloquently better than any of the priests, but yet he doesn't have the big degree. He seems to understand the nature of God, but yet he can explain the nature of God with farm analogies. He's got this big following, but his closest disciples are guys who catch fish and collect taxes. So this must have been an intriguing person. So all the people pile in. They pile in, and they're hoping to hear some word of encouragement from this prophet guy from up north. And Jesus gets up, and he looks around, and he sees everyone standing there, desperate and tired and hungry, and Jesus, he's only one person. And he knows they have one question on their mind. Can you cure me or feed me? But he knows they have another question too. Does God hate me? Am I cursed? I mean, why was I born this way? Why couldn't I have been uh, born like that guy with the pillars in the mansion over there? 
Why am I walking around in a plague when that guy's walking around in a palace that he got from his father who got it from his father? Why would God put me in this situation? Is God mad at me? Does God hate me? Does God abandon me? There were people back then who said, still people today who say, but there were people who would have said, yeah, God is punishing you for something you or your relatives did. It's your fault. And God's giving you what you deserve. And there were teachers who said that God was just being arbitrary and punishing at random, like, like God's some sort of big bully who just randomly makes people sick. But if you weren't one of the blessed people with health or wealth or status, then what were you? Well, if I'm not blessed, I must be cursed. And that's what we call people who aren't blessed, right? They're cursed. And so Jesus is standing there on the mountain, and he's looking out at all these people who live with poverty and who live with struggle and who live with sickness, and they live with people telling them that they're getting what they deserve because God hates them. And Jesus comes. And he speaks for the Father, the one who gives the real blessings, the one who gives the real gifts, the one who makes the final judgments, the one who really decides who's going to inherit the kingdom and who will not. And he speaks up to the poor and the persecuted and the sick who are piled in on this mountain, and he says, Blessed are you. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are sick. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you when you are spit on and made fun of. Because yours is the kingdom of God. God the Father is giving you an inheritance. The blessing. The kingdom. God is choosing you to get the farm. God is choosing you, and not them, to carry on his word. Jesus even says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your reward. You got it good here. In the kingdom of God, when the resurrection comes, when God breaks into our world, you are the chosen ones, the blessed children, the inheritors of God's gifts. You are blessed because God chooses you. And it has never been a message that's been terribly well received by the rich. Uh, you know, and we, a lot of people never liked it. What? what? You're punishing me for being rich? You know, I'll just say, hey, I, don't write, I didn't write the Bible. I preach it. Jesus said that God is being kind of like old man Isaac. And he's picking some and not others and giving some the blessing. So being chosen by God to inherit the kingdom is the greatest blessing. It means that God has picked us to have this great joy of knowing him, 
of being part of his family, of being his children, of getting a share in the resurrection. It means having comfort when times are hard and a push when times are easy. It means God's chosen to make this kingdom here on earth and to make sure we know that we share in that blessing with the people at the bottom of society's ladder that everyone else thinks is cursed, but who God favors. It means a great pile of gifts that makes life worth living, but also a responsibility to handle. And it means having people who hate you, but having the heart and the mind of Jesus, not to hate them back. That is what it means to be blessed, to be chosen by God for great reward and great responsibility and to inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Have a happy All Saints Day, everybody.